Thank you for letting us come and gate crash. Um, yeah, it's, it's so much fun. We've, we've known uh, Pastor Milo and Allison for, for many years. Um, and you can pray for them later when you realize what our relationship with them may have done to them. Um, but we were there on their wedding day when lightning struck the chapel. And we thought, Allison, it's a sign. Run away. But she was faithful and she stayed. Um, it was the most beautiful chapel on top of the hill. And we arrived there and we saw the clouds gathering and we were like, I don't know how this is going to end. This is going to either be amazing or terrifying, one of the two ways. But it was an amazing day. And as, as you heard, they came and visited us when we were leading a church in Valcom. And for those of you who don't know, that's my beautiful wife, Cheryl. And um, one of the great joys of my life is being able to travel and do ministry with her. Um, many people, when they talk to us about doing business, travel, and that kind of thing, the one spouse goes and the other one stays. And we are incredibly fortunate to be able to do this together. And it's one of the great blessings of my life to be able to do and pursue Jesus and build this church alongside with my wife. And so it's, it's an incredible privilege. And uh, for those of you who were there yesterday, you know there is no way I can top what she gave. And so I'm, I'm, all, I'm kind of like the, 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 the after party, right? I just, I just come to encourage you on whatever was said um, yesterday. And, and as I was sitting um, and, and just in praise and worship, I had a whole message prepped. And Ulrika, you don't have to worry about slides. So... You know, good job. You don't have to worry about any slides. So I'm not going to use anything of that today. And I just felt God lay on my heart the, the word, a faithful imagination. You've been talking about faith a little while over the last couple of weeks. And, and you've been talking about how faith moves you. Faith is not stagnant. Faith, faith has to result in us going beyond who we are. You cannot stay stagnant once you've placed your faith in Jesus. Right? You cannot. It's impossible. And those of us who try, you will feel uncomfortable. You will feel that thing inside of you going, there's something more, there's something greater. And so today I want to ask you to avoid two extremes and to, to focus on kind of the middle ground. The one extreme is an unimaginative faith. I want you to avoid this thing called an unimaginative faith. And I want you to avoid the other extreme, which is a faithless imagination. And I think so often we fall into one of the two extremes. Either we have faith, but there's no imagination attached to it. And on the other side, we might have an imagination, but it isn't attached in any way to our faith. And I want to encourage us today by touching on three passages. And I want to ask you at the end of this to commit to God that your imagination is going to be from this point forward attached to your faith. And you're never going to exercise faith without employing your imagination. In the book of Amos, chapter 5, I promise you it's a book in the Bible. <laughs> Amos is declaring to the people of God the words of God, and he says, Our God is the God of the Pleiades and Orion. Our God is the God of the Pleiades and Orion. Now, for those of you who don't know what those are, those are constellations. Now, think about what he's saying. He isn't saying, Our God is the God of the universe. Although that's true, God is the God of the universe. He isn't saying God is the God of the stars. What he's saying is when you look up and you see the stars, what God wants us to do is he doesn't just want us to see the beauty of the science behind the stars. As amazing as that is, because I'm a scientist, right? I studied engineering. I love all the science. 
I love how atoms work. I love how the theory of, of, of all these scientific theories, if you want me to get started, ask me about the Heisenberg uncertainty principle and how that screams to me of the gospel. When I think of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, I cannot help but see the Holy Spirit. But when Amos says God is the God of the Pleiades and Orion, what he's saying is God is not just the God of the stars. God is the God of the stories we see in the stars. Because you see what Orion was is Orion was a picture that people saw when they looked up in the heavens. They said that's not just the universe. We can tell our stories by looking at those stars. And God is saying through Amos, he's, he's saying, I'm not just the God of the universe. I'm the God of what you see when you amplify your imagination in the universe. I am the God of not just the stars. I'm the God of the stories you tell when you look at the stars. And you know what I love about that is that that means there's no limit to our faith because there's never a limit to our imagination. There's no limit to your imagination, right? Think about this for a moment. If science discovered all there was, and I don't think they ever will because we have a master creator behind the universe. But just for a moment, imagine that we figured out maths. All of it. Every single thing about maths, we know. Right? Uh, we were chatting. Somehow they've changed maths. You wouldn't think you could change one plus, but somehow, by the time we were at school and now our kids are at school, they've changed it. They've changed what they do. They change how they, like how do you change maths? But imagine just for a moment that they figured out maths. They got all maths figured out. And they figured out every atom and every subatom, every quark, every proton, every electron, every reaction, the way light works. Imagine they figured out everything. Imagine you got to the limit of science and mathematics. Imagine you got to that limit. You know what I love thinking about is we will never get to the limit of music. Right? You're never going to get to the day where you go, that's it, every song possible written has been written. We can now all quit and just listen to old music. You're never going to get to the point where you think everything that can be painted has been painted. You know what that says to me is when we look at the stars, there might be a day when we reach the end of our scientific understanding, but we will never reach the day where we run out of stories to tell. And God in Amos says, I am the God of the stories as well as the stars. I am the God not just of the, the principles of the universe. I am the God of the imagination that inspires stories in the universe. And so right off the bat, I want to ask us real quick, what do you imagine? What stirs your spirit? Sometimes I think, God, if I could just win the lottery, and then my imagination kicks into high gear, right? I would spend money here, and I would do this, and I would do... But if that's the only thing that grasps my imagination, I'm settling for something short. What is it that stirs your imagination? What is it that, that says to you, hey, if this could happen, then imagine. What would happen if... And then your imagination kicks into gear. We all know those, that moment, Right? What happens when your imagination kicks into gear? Because God, in the book of Amos, says, I am the God of your imagination. I'm not just the God of the stars. I'm the God of the stories you see in the stars. Now, if that's who God is, I want to tell you two other passages. The one shows us the two extremes. 
where faith and imagination are not connected. And then this, the last thing I'm gonna touch on today is a place where God responds to someone who had imagination and faith to ask for the impossible. The first story is a story in the second book of Kings. And they are under siege. Assyria has come and they, they've camped around Israel, more specifically Jerusalem. And the, the famine is incredible. You, sometimes you read the Bible and you think there should be an age restriction on the Bible. Right? In two kings, you read about how the one, two mothers got together. And the one mother, they said, you know what, we'll cook our child today and eat it. And then tomorrow we'll cook your child. That's how severe the famine got. And so what happened is the first day the, the woman cooked her child, they ate her child. And then the next day the other mother refused to cook her child. Which I can understand. I can get that. But for the mother who'd lost her child, she went to the king and she said, look what's going on in your land. Look at the, the chaos that's going on. And the king's response was to blame the prophets. The king's response was to go, prophets, Elisha, this is all your fault. The reason he blamed it on Elisha is because Elisha's predecessor, Elijah, had declared a famine and a drought over the land for three years. So his immediate response was, blame the prophets. And Elisha comes to him and he says, by this time tomorrow, everything will be so cheap, you will be operating out of an abundance. You won't even be making a profit on flour or veggies. There's no, pro you won't make any profit. And the king said, that is absolutely impossible. There is no economic strategy in the world that can turn a city that is cooking its own children into a city where no one's making any profit off of food. And in 24 hours, it is impossible to do that. You cannot do that. Not even God alone could do that. There is no way you can go from a place of such famine to a place of such plenty in 24 hours. For those of you who've never read the story, there are four lepers who lived at the gate. And they said to themselves, if we stay here, we're going to die. We may as well go and see what's going on in the enemy camp that's encircled the city, and so they go, and they find the, the camp completely empty. They have fled. The army has fled, and in fleeing, they left everything, all their provision, all their animals, all their material wealth. They have left absolutely everything in the camp, and so what happens is they bring, the, the, first of all, you know, as normal humans do, they're like, this is amazing. Let me eat. Let me take all my gold, and so what they do in the first few moments is they sort themselves out. They set themselves up, and then they come to a point where one leper says to another, this isn't right. We've actually got to go back to the city and tell them what's happening. And they go back to the city. And they tell the, the guards on the city wall what happened. And you know what? No one believed them. No one could imagine that God could do such a big work that all the provision of Assyria was now available to Jerusalem. They couldn't imagine it. They thought that the, the leprosy had gone to their heads and now they were crazy. And so what do they do? The king says, send out one or two people to go and investigate. And they go and investigate. And they bring in all the provision of the Assyrian army into the camp of Judah, into Jerusalem. And what we see there is so often we are more like the king and the gods that have no imagination for what God can do in 24 hours. We go, God, I hear your word, but there is no possible way. There is no way you could do that. 
There is no way you can break through. There's no way you can heal my marriage. There's no way you can get me a job. There's no way you can bring financial breakthrough. God, I don't see it. That's why God had to use four lepers. Four people that the society thought were outcasts. And he said, I'm going to use you. Because no one else is willing to have faith with imagination. No one else is willing to imagine what I can do with a a mustard seed level of faith. Imagine, and no one was willing to imagine. That's what the prophet was calling them to. The prophet was saying, come imagine with me what God can do in 24 hours. Imagine what God can do for us in 24 hours. And no one had the imagination. And no one had the faith. You see, in that moment, what we see in the king and the gods is unimaginative faith or faithless imagination. They couldn't dream of a day where God could do so much in 24 hours. And yet that's the God we serve. The moment we stop trusting that God can do what he has said he can do is the moment we lose imagination and faith. So what is it that God has said to you? What has God promised over your life? When Cheryl and I were in Velcom, we, uh, yo, it was rough. For those of you who don't know where Velcom is, it's the belly button of our nation. Smack bang in the middle. So anyone who comes out of Velcom is thus belly button fluff. <laughs> and we were there in our church. When we took over the church, it was about 30 people. Income was negligible. And so there, were, there, was, there was a period of about two to three years where we didn't get paid a single cent. Two to three years where we weren't paid. Now, luckily, we didn't have kids at that stage. But as a man, you begin to go, what's wrong with me? I can't provide for my wife. What's the matter with me that the church isn't growing? What's the matter with me that we're not calling in the finances? What's the matter with me? And in Psalm 37, it says this, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor the children begging for bread. Yes, I held on to that scripture. And you know what I understood by that scripture is, God, I'm not righteous, but you are. And if you are righteous and you've called me your son, then I, as the son of righteous, never have to beg for bread. And so I got down on my knees and I, I, I lent on that scripture. And Cheryl mentioned it yesterday, for those of you who weren't there, we never went more than 18 days without seeing a miracle of provision. Never more than 18 days. And God did something. I'm not going to share the same stories that Cheryl shared yesterday because it makes me look bad. But um, there was another moment that I remember. We were driving to Bloemfontein. We had someone we spoke to in Bloemfontein. And on, on the way to Bloem, and this is at the end of the year, we were tired. We were upset with life. We were miserable. And on the way to Bloemfontein, we get this call from a couple in our church. And he was in a wheelchair. He'd had a motorbike accident when he was 21. He was in a wheelchair and he was a carpenter. That was the most he could do. His wife was a seamstress. She used to repair the clothes that Mr. Price got returned. They would send it to her. She would repair it. So their income was negligible. Okay, they had just enough to live on. They phone us on the way to Bloemfontein, and they say, we want to see you today. And I was like, listen, I really don't want to. Confessions of a pastor, right? But if we have time, we'll come past. If we have come... And so on the way back, we just decided, let's get it done. We'll go past the house. And we, we walked into their house, and they had the biggest smiles on their faces. 
And we thought, something's up here. And you know, I don't know if you ever do this with, with Pastor Milo and Allison, but when, when a pastor comes to your house, you automatically feel the need for small talk. How's the church going, pastor? You know you were there on Sunday. Stop asking me these questions. How's the family? And we were tired, and we just kind of sat down. And we were like, okay, why are we here? And they put 100,000 rand on the table in front of us. And they said, we want you to have this. 100,000 rand. We, we would, like, which bank did you just rob? What have you done? And one of their third-party claims had just been paid out from his accident. And he was giving us 100,000 rand. Lean not on your own understanding. But what if we began to believe what God has actually said? What if we began to have an imagination that said, God, I'm not going to limit you. I'm going to attach an imagination to my faith. That means that when I wake up in the morning, I'm excited to see what you are going to do. Because what you can do in 24 hours is so much bigger than what our economy can even imagine. It's so much bigger than our government can imagine. Governments of the world cannot imagine what God can do. And that's why God, when He came in the person of Jesus and left, He didn't leave a government. He left a church. And He says, church, the best way I can explain church, this is the words of Paul, is we are a body. We're not an organization. We are a body. And the body is what? The body is what imagination is birthed out of. Buildings don't imagine. Organizations don't imagine. We do. And so church, what is this church as a whole dreaming of? What are we imagining? Are we imagining the day where every single one of these seats is filled and we have to have a second service? What are we imagining? Last story I want to tell you is, is a well-known story. It's a story of the, the centurion. And he comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, please come, my servant is sick. And Jesus says, that's fine, I will come with you. Now think of why Jesus responded like that. Because up until this point, every miracle, every healing that Jesus had done had been a proximity miracle. Jesus was in the room when the person got healed. Jesus laid hands, Jesus spoke, he spat in the mud. I sometimes what like, Jesus, why do, you, why do you do these things? But in every single miracle, up to that moment, Jesus had been in the room. People expected, if you're going to heal me, touch me. We see that with the, the woman who pushed through the crowd and reached out to the hem of the garments. There was something about proximity that just made sense in our heads about healing. Whoever's going to heal me has to be with me. And then the centurion comes along, and he says, all you need to do is say the word. I'm a man under authority. I understand authority. And I want you, Jesus, to do something that you've never done, that no one's ever asked you for. I can imagine that when you speak, my servant, who's not even in the same geographical area, can get healed. And so the centurion principle, yes, he's, and what does Jesus say? I have never seen such faith. You see, the, the centurion imagined the power of Jesus, the power of a word. He imagined it, and he says, faith. We see Jesus connect imagination to faith. 
And I sometimes wonder in myself, I wonder if God kind of looks at our prayers and asks, why are you only asking for things I've already done? Why are you only doing, sometimes we feel limited. We think we can only ask for what God has already done in the Bible and in history. What if God is waiting for a people, a church, individuals to go, God, I've never heard you do this before. I've never seen you do a miracle like this before. But God, I believe you can. I believe that you can do in a moment, in a day, what my imagination can't even dream of. What is it that, that, that you are trusting God for? What are you praying for? One of the things I so often think about is, Paul writes and he says, every promise of God is yes in Christ Jesus and to that we say the amen. Every promise. So what that means is everything in the Bible you already have access to. It's already yours. You don't have to ask for something that's already yours. Okay? And you know what I think sometimes it's like, you know, we get down on our knees in prayer and we say, Jesus, I need you to provide for me. And it's like there's a present right there. And you know what? Jesus can't answer a prayer that he's already answered. Think about that. Jesus cannot answer a prayer that he's already answered because it's there. And instead of answering the prayer, he's going, open your eyes. See what's already under the tree, if we're talking about Christmas. Stop asking and unwrap. Why don't you start asking for things that you don't have yet? Why don't you start asking for things that you've never heard about, you've never dreamt about? Why don't you start stirring up an imagination fueled by faith and then step out on that dream? One of the joys Scripture tells us is, is receiving what we've prayed for. There's a joy in that. Paul says that when we receive what we pray for, there is happiness, there is joy. And I wonder if we have lived an unjoyful Christianity because we're praying for things we already have access to. But what if we began to pray for such big things, such imaginative things, that even God goes, wow, I haven't seen that kind of faith since the centurion spoke to me. I haven't seen that kind of imagination since the centurion believed I could heal without being in the room. And so I want to ask, I don't know how much time I've got left. I'm, I don't know where I am. Cape Town. Uh, how long I've been preaching. So can I ask you this question? When you look at the stars, what do you see? Do you see stories in the stars? And not just at the stars, when you look at your life, what do you see? When you look at the future of your life, is there something in your imagination that gets excited? Is there something in you that goes, imagine what God could do with me if? Imagine the change in my work if. Imagine the new legacy my family could live out of if. 
Imagine, imagine if. Because the two extremes I think are very dangerous. If we live in a place of, of faithless imagination, yes, we can be creative, but we never honor God in our creativity. A faithless imagination might dream big dreams, but we're not attaching our dreams to the one who can answer the dreams. Classic example of this for me are people who we kind of elevate in our world as visionaries. Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Richard Branson. And they've got incredible imagination. And what they do is they outwork that imagination through the world, not through the creator of the world. And so those people in our society actually celebrated. But I wonder if the creator, I wonder if heaven is looking down going, if only you would attach that imagination to the creator of the stars. So on the one side, we've got this, this faithless imagination. And on the other side, we've got unimaginative faith. And unimaginative faith believes in God, but doesn't trust God. Right, so if I had the chair, I can trust that the chair exists. I believe in the chair. The chair is the chair. But until I sit on it, I haven't trusted the chair. It's easy to believe in chairs. It's easy to believe in a God. The God that's out there, the God of the universe. It's easy to believe in God. It's a very different thing to believe God. Because if I believe God, then what He says, I've got to do. When He calls me to something, I've got to step out. Some of us, we know what it's like to be in the boat, and God's walking on the waters, and He says, come to me. We're like, enjoy your storm. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to get out of the boat when you're in the storm. It makes no sense. And sometimes what we do is we use Christianese. I don't know how many of you know Christianese. I'm very fluent. As a pastor, I've learned all the Christian lingo. And sometimes what we use is we use the phrase, I have no peace about it. I have no peace about this next step. What if God's calling you to be in the storm? Sometimes what we say, what we, what we, we internalize, we go, I'm just waiting for everything to calm down. I'm waiting for everything to be perfect. Can you imagine if Peter had waited, saying, Jesus, I'll come to you, just stop the storm first. Jesus doesn't always call you to, 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 to a perfect situation before you move. He doesn't say, wait till the storm finishes, wait till the waves cease, wait till the, 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 the everything is okay, and then step across. No, sometimes he calls us out into the waves. Why? Because if we can believe that God is the God who is always above the waves, not confounded by the waves, we'll be okay. And so perhaps for some of us today, we need an imaginative faith just to get out of the boat. To leave your comfort behind. You know, for some of us, comfort looks like being an a, a under-the-radar Christian at work. Right? It's comfortable. No one needs to know. They'll never know. How will they know? They won't know. They won't know. Some of us need to become a bit more uncomfortable at work. Sometimes it might just mean putting a fish on the back of your car. Do you know what a, how you can tell if a fish is Christian or not? Do you know how you can tell if a, a fish is Christian or not? It's got a car attached to its backside. 
Sorry, that was a dad joke. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But why? Sorry, that's so bad. Oh, you shouldn't invite me back ever. This is why we don't get second invites often. Um, I was doing so well. I was doing so well. But what if we... <laughs> I'm getting laughter at the back as well. I've got surround sound laughter. Anyway, what if we got a bit braver, a bit more imaginative about what it means to be a Christian in the workplace? What if we got a bit more imaginative about what it means to be a Christian husband, a Christian mother? By the way, I think we've got marriage a little bit backwards when it comes to husbands and wives. When Jesus displayed leadership, what did he do? He took off his robe and he put a, ro a towel around his waist and he served. Men, what if being head of the home means being the number one servant in your home? Sorry for the guys right now. <laughs> this is the moment where all the ladies are like, let's get him back. Let's get that guy back. But what? All the husbands are like, I'm out. Let me know when this looks back again. Organizing a fishing trip. Um, but what, what if we began to use our imaginations again? And as you read scripture, don't just read it as you've always read it. Use your faithful imagination when you read scripture, when you pray, when you worship, when you come to church. That's one of my dreams, is that the most creative places in the world would be church auditoriums. That this would be a hub of creativity and imagination where people would come into church and say, I've never met such an imaginative group of people in my life. I've never met people who trust for such big things. I've never met people who have such uh, imagination and fire inside of them. Why? Because God is the God of the Pleiades and the Orion. God is the God not just of the stars, but the stories in the stars. God is the God of your story. And he even calls himself the author and perfecter of our faith. He's writing out a story, and I wonder if, and he calls us to partner with him. And I wonder if he's tired of writing boring stories. Right? I wonder if God is going, would you give me something to work with? Give me something, give me, uh, one of our favorite movies is Bedtime Stories. I don't know how many of you watched it. It's an Adam Sandler movie. And he tells stories to the kids and they come true, right? It's a, funny, it's a funny movie. But there's one point where Russell Brand, he goes, your story has to have an arc. You've got to teach the kids something. What are our stories teaching our next the next generation? Are our stories so outrageous, so imaginative, that when the next generation looks at us, they go, I want a story like that. I don't want an ordinary story. I don't want a normal story. I don't want a boring story. I want a story that Hollywood wants to get hold of. I want a story that Netflix wants to get hold of. I want a story that's so imaginative it stirs the imagination in others. But I don't want an, a, a story that's just creative. I want a story that's faithful that honors God in the imagination, that honors God with my faith. 
And so I've kind of been jumping around a bit because I just I felt God wanted me to just to share these kind of few stories with you and passages. Because I believe God is calling you, Prodeo Church, to be a church of imagination. To be a church that dreams big dreams. Dreams that cannot happen if God doesn't get involved. Dreams that seem, the, the moment you even say them, you think I'm crazy. I want you to dream dreams that make you think you need therapy. When did we as a people stop imagining what God could do with a handful of people? Twelve apostles changed the world. What could Prodeo do if we began to imagine? Imagine a church where every seat was full. Imagine a church where Sunday after Sunday, this whole area, my bad. Sorry. Imagine a church where Sunday after Sunday, this whole area was full of people making commitments to Jesus. Imagine a church where the, the kids' ministry, I love it, Heroes Academy, are full of kids that are so passionate about the gospel that the schools in the area go, what is happening at that church? Imagine a, a church where husbands and wives walk in furious at each other and they leave in love with one another. Imagine a church where those who have to stay at the top because they came in in a wheelchair come dancing to the front. Imagine a church where there are buckets at the doors for people who have to throw their glasses away because God has healed their sight. Imagine a church where the parking outside is not enough. Imagine a church that causes a traffic jam. Imagine a church that isn't just on Sundays, but in Monday to Sundays. Where the community, if, it, if we ever closed the doors of Prodeo Church, the community would cry out and say, close the government, but don't close that church. We'll have load shedding rather than no Prodeo Church. Imagine a church that is so full of faithful imagination that Cape Town is different. South Africa is different. Schools are different. Government is different. Imagine what God could do with us if we just began to dream at the level of the centurion. If we just began to give God more exciting stories to write. Amen. Has that inspired you a little bit? Has that helped you? Can we just turn our palms towards heaven as we pray? Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that you are here. That you make Jesus real to us. And Jesus, as we sang before, there's nothing that can compare to who you are. And so first and foremost, God, we want to love you more than we've ever loved anything else. We love you, Jesus. We love you because you are the author and perfecter of our faith. That you are writing out our stories for us. And today, God, we commit to give you our imagination. And we say, God, would we begin to dream big dreams again? Would we begin to imagine on the level of that centurion? Thank you that you told us that those who want to enter the kingdom of God need to become like children. God, would we begin to discover a childlike imagination again? 
Would we not fit in people's expectations of us? Would we not fit in the boundaries and the borders that society places on us? God, would you stir us up? Would this place every Sunday morning be a place of imagination, a place of dangerous prayers, a place, a place of imaginative scripture reading, a time where the, the, the prayers make heaven nervous, God. God, I pray that on every single person in Jesus' name. And I pray that none of us would fall into those categories of a, a faithless imagination or an unimaginative faith, but that, God, we would combine the two and that we wouldn't just see stars, we would see stories in the stars. Teach us again to look at the world through your eyes and to imagine what could be, not just what is. I just pray of every single person that the things that are in their hearts right now, that you've been afraid to ask God. You've been afraid because there's no history of it in Scripture. You don't read about it anywhere else. I wonder if God's saying, ask it. Ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be opened. God, I pray that we would ask big things today. And I pray against the, the scheme of the enemy that asks us, that tempts us to settle back into what we've known before. Would we never settle? God, I pray that this message that, that you've brought out today, that God, it would be a stone in our shoe, that we would never again be able to walk the same, that we would always walk with this thing reminding us, hey, today's a day to be dangerous with my imagination. Today's a day to pray prayers that's gonna shake up heaven and change earth. God, would we pray these prayers in your powerful name. Amen. Amen.